Join over 350,000 people just like you who are taking control of their wellness journey with Viome. When it comes to choosing the right food and supplements for you, don't guess, test. With Viome's health intelligence test, you get over 30 health insights based on your unique biology and your gut microbiome. You also receive personalized food recommendations and precision supplements formulated literally just for you. Use code GENIUS to get an extra $20 off a health intelligence test. Visit Viome.com to shop now. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Quick note before we begin, the Finding Genius Foundation, as part of the Finding Genius Podcast, has recently completed a book about understanding viruses. So the creation of this book was to interview 100 virologists, ask them a lot of deep, difficult questions, take the most difficult questions, and then re-interview the top 25 or so and ask them the hardest questions I could think of. And we compiled that all into a book. So you'll see question and four or five experts' answers. Question, four or five experts' answers. There's about 30 questions in the book. I think it's a great read for the layperson and for the researcher. Talks about a lot of speculation in the world of viruses, such as are they alive or not? And why is it important? Uh, Why do viruses go latent or hidden or ineffective or sit in a person or an animal or another creature for weeks, months, years? and then suddenly become virulent and affect that person. Uh, So there's a lot of really provocative questions in the book. It's now on Amazon. So if you go to Amazon and type in Finding Genius, you'll see the book on viruses. It's also on Kindle. The Audible version is in production and should be ready in approximately a month. But if you want to go and order it now, uh, you can do so again by going to Amazon or Kindle or go go to FindingGeniusFoundation.org and go to Publications. There's an opportunity as well to get the transcripts of all the interviews and to hear the original interviews themselves. If we had put them all together, the book would be about a thousand pages, but we condensed them down to make it juicy and concise and tight and very interesting. So I hope you'll check out the book. Uh, we're now working on one about cancer, but this is going to be our goal is uh, three times a year to come out with these masterclass books that I think will inspire new scientific research, and I hope you'll check it out. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have Bill Carroll. He's an adjunct professor at Indiana University. We're going to talk about uh, his his current projects uh, that are surrounding recycling, mercury, organic pollutants, etc. So, Bill, thank you for coming. Great to be with you, Rich. If you would, tell me a bit about your background, and then I want to ask you about what you're working on currently. Sure. Um, I have I had 37 years experience in the chemical industry after graduate school for retiring from Occidental Chemical Corporation in 2015. Since then, I use that experience for uh, the benefit of some of my clients, some of which are are corporate, but at least one of which is the United Nations uh, uh, International Development Organization, Industrial Development Organization. So it's a matter of using experience that I gained over the course of that that long industrial career. Okay, very good. What what kind of projects are you working on right now? Is it well, there's, there's a couple of things that are that are that are kind of interesting. One, I'm sort of using previous experience and and, and interested in uh, on, on a peripheral basis, and it has to do with recycling plastics. In my career, 
probably 30 years ago, I was, I had a startup plastics recycling business inside the company. Um, and those days were very similar to the days today in that there's a lot of interest in plastics recycling. But in those days, it was a matter of uh, what we call mechanical recycling. And what that means is, you know, you go out, you get soda bottles or milk bottles, you uh, kind of clean them up, you grind them up, you remelt them, and you turn them into a new article uh, by reusing the plastic as, as it was. That works, but it's, it's a low volume kind of thing. So for today, where, where people are talking about wanting to get to uh, recycling up to 100% of packaging plastics, because of the dirt, the collection challenges, and other challenges associated with plastics recycling, you couldn't possibly get to, to anywhere near that kind of rate by recycling plastics mechanically. That is to say, collect it, grind it, wash it, remelt it, and, and reform it into an object. Where are we at right now, percentage-wise, and what's theoretically possible? So when you look at the amount of plastic that gets recycled, for, of total plastic, it's in, in the single digits. But remember, there's a lot of that plastic that winds up in, uh, in construction, so it's not really coming into the waste stream. Let's talk more about packaging plastics. And when you're talking about packaging plastics, it's kind of more in the, in the 20%-ish range, and it's kind of plateaued there. And the reason is, is because we've done the easy stuff. And, you know, when you think about, when, when you talk to people about recycling, you know, they say, oh, yeah, um, I take my plastic bottles and uh, I throw them in a blue bin and I set them out at the curb. And, you know, that's, that's nice, but that's not recycling. That's throwing it away in a blue wastebasket. Recycling is, is everything that happens after that. How do you, how do you turn that back into, uh, into a new article? And the kind of limits, um, there's probably no calculated theoretical limit, but there's a practical limit because to recycle things mechanically, you have to be able to, create, to recover large streams of things that are virtually all the same, like milk bottles or laundry bottles or soda bottles. But when you start mixing stuff up, it doesn't work. So I'm thinking maybe, you know, maybe you get to, to 25% of packaging plastics that way. But if you're going to go beyond that, you have to rethink the operation. And, and the way you rethink that is to, in essence, take it all back to atoms and start over. So here's what I mean by this. And sometimes you'll see um, the, the term advanced recycling or chemical recycling used for a process like this. The way this is done is, is to collect a stream of plastics. And that can be anything from, some, from you know, something that's very specific, shopping bags or, or the like. Or it can be something that's very general. And the material then is, is heated so as to break it down back to a, a usable liquid material. That liquid material in many cases is kind of like diesel fuel or naphtha or uh, something that almost looks like gasoline, but it's not gasoline. Because that liquid material can be put back into the process that makes the materials from which the plastics were made in the first place. So in essence, what you're doing is you're taking a solid, you're turning it into a usable raw material liquid and running it back through the process to make new plastic, not just ground, ground up, cleaned up, remanufactured old plastic. So you're not trying to completely degrade the substance, but you're taking it back to its precursor state, let's say or its raw ingredient state if possible. That's, that's one approach, but there is another approach. And that other approach, in fact, does take it back almost, almost to atoms. So what you, another way you can approach this is instead of trying to make a liquid as a result, you can take it back to what's called synthesis gas, which is hydrogen and carbon monoxide. 
And the reason that's useful is because that material can be used to, to, to synthesize very specific liquid materials, once again, that can be used as you have another approach that you can take. You can take this material back to what's known as synthesis gas. Synthesis gas is a mixture of hydrogen and carbon monoxide, and that can be used as raw material, once again, to, to, uh, to synthesize up liquid materials that can be used as raw. Now, this seems a little bit strange, but it's a process that's been in use almost 100 years. In fact, this process of building that liquid molecule up is called Fischer-Tropsch, and it was used by Germany in the 1930s and 1940s as a large source of the liquid fuel that, uh, that the German army used during World War II. That's how old a process it is. So the whole, but the whole point of it is, starting with material at the end of its regular life, taking it back to a usable raw material, putting it in a state where it can go back to the beginning of the process and making new plastic. Okay. I don't know. Like, what, What's a common plastic or very prevalent waste stream that lay people would know about? And you know, what is it called? And what are you turning it back into as an example? Let's take two examples. One okay. example might be to take shopping bags, high-density polyethylene shopping bags. There are lots of them. Um, and if you were to collect a stream of those things, and many people, many people do recycle, take it back to the grocery store, and there, there are lots of those that find their way back. The way they're processed now, they can either be, be reprocessed back into bags, or sometimes they turn into a raw material for construction material like, like Trex decking can use that, that sort of thing. But let's just take that as a stream. And if I were to process this um, in the absence of oxygen, and an elevated temperature, I can, and I'm going to use a technical term here, I can crack that material back to a liquid material that can be a raw, raw material going back into the polymerization process. Now, in, in some ways, that's an easy case because I'm starting with a uniform stream of material. But you can also have a slightly broader stream. If you had a, a mixture of what we call polyolefins, and on a practical basis, what that means to, to people, when, when I say that to them, that means milk bottles, laundry bottles, shopping bag, cleaner bag, yogurt cups, cottage cheese containers, things that, that are on a recycling basis. If you look at the numbers on the bottoms, it would be numbers two, four, and five. Those are all polyolefins. They're very similar materials. Those could be processed as, as a mixed stream, once again, to give you a reasonably clean liquid material that could go back into the process at the beginning. So uh, there's at least a couple of examples that you can approach it. Now, you can also take a totally mixed stream if you want to go back to synthesis games, but it gets to be a little bit more of a challenge. The question is, how much stuff do you have to get recycled and how much pre-processing do you want to do before you generate the stream of material that you're going to use as, as raw material for your process. I've heard that um, a lot of recycling is actually downcycling. You know, you can make plastic bottles into a park bench. But is that true? Uh, can things truly be recycled to, I don't know, a, a virgin stock state? How hard? Well, the answer is, yeah, it is true. And there's really, there's really three sorts of states. And, and if you, when, when you say downcycling, sort of the, the, the practical knowledge of that means I take something that was a high value material, like a packaging material, and I reprocess it into something that is no longer packaging. Perhaps the best example of this, and it's not a bad example, and frankly, this is not a bad use of material, but, but a practical example would be to take soda bottles, which are a polymer called polyethylene terephthalate. A common name for that polymer is, is Dacron. 
but you take that polyester and you can and, and you can reprocess it into a material that becomes carpet fiber. Now, it's not a bottle anymore. On the other hand, you don't throw carpet away after you after you drain the soda out of it. So while you may call that downcycling, it simply means that it's going from a packaging application into a more into a more permanent app. Now, there's an, a lot of plastics recycling today that's that's going from product back to that given product. And you'll see even a number of the soft drink manufacturers today advertising that 100% of their bottles are recycled from other bottles. And that's doable. You collect the material, you, you clean it, you put it in good shape. Um, there is a, there's, there's a thermal treatment that you give to it to make sure that, that, that it comes back up to the right physical properties so it makes a good bottle when you're done with it. But yes, you can take that back back into a bottle. The third approach is, is the approach that I'm telling you about in terms of advanced recycling or chemical recycling, wherein you take that, that uh, packaging material at the end of its life, break it down to component products, and turn it back into new, into new resin that can be made into new bottles. So it's, there, there are those three kinds of approaches to, to recycling. As a layperson, single digits of recycling percentage seems like really low to me. Why can't it be 25%? Is that totally unreasonable? Are we really far away from that? And are things being recycled in the way you're talking about? Or are they just being recycled into like, again, park benches and like low value type stuff? So you've got, you've got two questions there. Let me take the first question. Why can't it be 25%? And, and the answer is it can be, but it depends on how much work you want to put in, into doing that. So we make uh, all different kinds of plastics. And remember, not all Plastics are things that you see in terms of in terms of packaging. Remember, there's there's an awful lot of, for example, polyvinyl chloride PVC pipe that goes that goes into the ground. There's siding, there's wire insulation. There there are building materials of of, of various kinds that don't wind up in the waste stream. Um, so those are those are materials that obviously aren't going to get recycled until the end of their life, which is which is decades from now which is why I say it's a little easier to talk about the stuff that, that has a short life cycle, typically packaging kinds of materials. Packaging materials are, are somewhere in the neighborhood of about 40% of the, of the plastics that, that get made. So that's, that's really a more legitimate target for, for recycling in the short term. And, and no, it's not all downcycling by any stretch. And there's, there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of that material, particularly is when we're talking about soda bottles as, as, as an example, that you can go from the bottle back to the bottle and, and, and essentially return it to that, that, that initial, initial use. On the other hand, if you're, if you're going to drive that much beyond the kind of, of, of recovery that we get now, and incidentally, it's not a, it's not a matter of, of not being able to recycle it. The biggest hurdle right now is getting it back People throw stuff away in, 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 in ways that you can't get back into a recycling stream. Oh, what do you mean? They get contaminated or? No, they just don't, they just don't make it into a bin. There's, there's a significant oh. portion of the country that has absolutely no collection for recyclables. There's, there's, there's uh, another segment of, of, of the country that, that, that has recycling only if you opt in and pay for it. I realize that if you live in a big city, it's second nature to you. The garbage truck comes around, it picks up your recyclables, zip zop, and you're done. But that's, that's only a percentage of the country. And the rest of the country doesn't have the capability of simply taking those materials and putting them in a place where they can find their way into them. Discover how your gut microbiome is impacting your cellular health 
immune health, and how you're aging from the inside out with Viome's Health Intelligence Test. Collect your samples, send them to the Viome Lab, and within two to three weeks, your health scores and food and supplement recommendations will be available to you right in your Viome app. Visit Viome.com and use code GENIUS to get an extra $20 off your health intelligence test. But even when there's separated recycling, you know, maybe an urban legend, but I've heard in some places when conditions aren't right, they say, yeah, to heck with it. And they all put it together into the dump anyway. They don't, they don't segregate it. They tell you they do, but they don't. Okay, I can't tell you that that never happens. But from my experience, for the most part, if you're going to go to the, the trouble of collecting this and you're going to put into place machinery to, to, to do the separation, um, the only way you're going to make any money out of this is, is, to, is to separate it and sell it. And right now, particularly right now, I don't know if you've noticed the price of stuff like gasoline, and natural gas, and so on is really high. What that means is that the price you can get for waste plastics is also very high because the price for virgin plastics is very high. So if, if, you're, if you're going to have something happen like what you've suggested, that will typically happen. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen in a very, in a very low price environment where you've got lots of stuff around. This ain't one of those times. I was going to ask you too, with um, you know the current supply chain issues, how do you see that affecting the plastics in- industry? Does anyone have a handle on what's happening and what's more difficult and what's maybe easier? I don't know if there's trade-offs. So when you when you say the plastics industry, you mean in terms uh, on a recycling basis or or on on, on the, the virgin side? Oh, on a recycling basis, what what is this doing to? Is it having any effect downstream on the stuff you're working on yet? Generally, I can tell you that that at times like this, when the price of virgin resin is high, the price of recycled material is also high. And and that finds its way all the way back to the person who digs it out in the first place. So being in the recycling business, being in a commodity business is like playing poker with all the cards showing face up. Everybody knows what everybody else is doing. Everybody knows what the price is for virgin plant. And everybody knows what they would pay for a good recycled material that could offset some of that, some of that virgin plastic. So if the price of virgin is high, then it means that, that the price of, of good recycled material will also be high because it, it competes in some ways with the virgin or materials that are, that are close to virgin. So in that sense, when the price of, of recycled resin that you're going to use is high, it means that the, the price of what comes out of the waste stream is also going to be high. Look, let's, talk, let's take a step back and talk about the process, Rich. The way this happens is you put your stuff in the blue bin out at the curb. It gets taken to a place called a material recovery facility where it's, where it's sorted into different materials. And that can be glass, can be metal, can be paper, can be plastic. The plastic is typically bailed up and sent to a, to a separate recycling facility, a plastics recycling facility, wherein it's separated into, into various large streams, particularly the large recognizable streams like PET soda bottles, polyethylene milk bottles, polyethylene laundry bottles, and some polypropylene containers. So from there, that material is bailed up and sold to somebody who will reprocess it. So that's where this first enters the, the, the recycling streams, where somebody buys a bale of bottles. Now, if I, can, if I can reprocess this stuff and sell it for a high price, I can afford to pay more for my raw material. And what's more, I'm going to have to. Because I've got people who are competing with me in that business, and they're willing to, to pay more for it. So just what happens in the dynamics of, of a high-priced market like we have it now, and it all comes back 
to, to, to oil and natural gas as, as the source of high price time like this. I haven't looked at the, at the price of bale bottles lately, but I can tell you that the, from all my experience in the past, the price for that material would, would be extraordinarily high by historical, by historical terms, simply because there's competition to get it, because people can get more for it when they reprocess it and sell it. Okay. I don't know if recycling happens the way you're talking about it. What, what are your first targets and what's the potential uh, increase in available, you know, remanufactured feedstock, I guess I'll call it. I don't know what you call it, but um, where's the big potential here and what you're doing? What's going to be recycled that, that wasn't before now? What's going to happen is the things that, that can be easily mechanically recycled will probably still be for the time being. The question is, how do you extend this to, to the streams that are not easily recycled? What do I mean by not, not easily recycled? By that, I mean, and, and you have to remember, Rich, we're in the garbage business. We're talking about stuff that you've used that's got waste food and dirt and goo mm. and, and mm. all manner of other stuff. Le- leachate all over it. Yeah. Well, it's garbage, Rich. I mean, you know. I, I like garbage. Years, I, think it's, I think it's pretty I, cool, but I know it's disgusting. Yeah. I spent five years in the garbage business. And, and you know, mm. if you can do that without coming out with some funny stories, you weren't paying attention. But the whole point is, once you get past taking the really good stuff off the top, the question is, what do you do next? And and the hallmark of mechanical recycling is to find large streams of stuff that's all the same that can be efficiently cleaned up and, and turned back into materials. We're getting down to the point where those streams are being harvested if they can be, which means that that the the next the next increment will be the stuff that is more mixed dirtier, less separable, but perhaps can be aggregated into a stream of material that can be efficiently decomposed and turned into a raw material. And I mean, this is, this is, this is being done. You're at the front end of the curve, uh, admittedly, but there are people who are these, these days, there, there are companies who are in the business of making polyethylene resin, like the stuff that goes into milk bottles, who are recovering polyethylene and polypropylene streams from the waste, cracking them, using that, that product and putting it back into their devices that, that make the raw materials that make plastic. That's happening now. Take a look over what will happen over the course of, of, of the next 10 years. There's going to be a lot more of that simply because, particularly in Europe, the way regulations are, you're going to have to. What about um, feedstock cost of recycled versus true virgin? You know, what does that look like and how is that changing? And then material properties. Can you so, get the plastics to have the same properties? Right. Material properties. Let's take let's take the second one first. Um, One of the things that you have to be very careful when you mechanically recycle, that is to say the grind, wash, remelt and and refabricate. You have to be very careful about physical properties there, because every time you heat a plastic, it wears. So what, what, what you do, the more times you put it through the process the more likely you are to degrade some of the physical properties of that, of, of that material. So you have to be really careful in mechanical recycling that doesn't happen. On the other hand, in the advanced recycling or the chemical recycling, you're making new virgin at the end of the process. So there's no difference in the physical properties of the material at the end of that process. Now, you asked about the difference in costs. between. It's, it's a fair amount of it is going to matter in terms of scale. Can you get enough of a usable raw material to drive a large enough facility such that you can reduce the fixed costs of, of, of that facility over the number of pounds that you have um, in order to get your costs down and be competitive. 
So this is recycling is a commodity business, just like the plastics business is, and it does respond to economies to economies of scale. So that that price gets better as first of all the volume goes up, and and second to some extent you're going to see better and better technology in terms of of the decomposition of these materials as you go. Okay, so it looks it looks promising. Very good. I think um, it is, uh, and there and there are a whole lot of people who are spending a whole lot of money in the chemical industry to to put the to put this into place. Are there any holy grail recycling um, projects that either aren't working or just needs to be implemented that would be very helpful? I'm you know I'm going to say no only because the holy grail of this is volume. It's not a matter of geez, if only we could recycle nylon carpeting. Okay, that's kind of a challenge, but there's technology that's doable. To me, the holy grail is more is more the volume. If you have targets that that include a majority or or greater of the amount of packaging plastic that enters the stream, that's that's a pretty high goal. So that's to me where the holy grail is. Can we can we do this at a big enough scale uh, to have the kind of impact that's, that w- that will be necessary to conform with with regulations over the next ten? Okay. So I guess in summation, what do you think is possible over the next uh, five or 10 years in terms of percentage of, you know, all plastics that are going to be recycled? What's it at now? And what, what do you think it may get to? Well, once again, I'm going to, I'm going to reduce this to packaging plastics because that's, that's the mm-hmm. most, for the most part, what you're going to see. And I'm going to say you're in the, the 10 to 20% range. Now I would expect that to at least double over the course of the next 10 years but it's modulated by, by, by capital invested, by the ability to collect larger and larger streams and to aggregate those streams in a way the, the technology produces the correct raw materials. It's not going to be one answer, which there's going to be two or three different ways in, in, in which this, this goes. But, but there are some components of all of those things. One is being able to collect enough stuff. Two is being able to segregate it into streams that, that most applicable for whatever whatever uh, the remanufacturing repolymerization process is that, that that a company uses, and three is to do it at scale. Okay, well, very good. Well, Bill, where can people find out more about your projects and your work? What I'm what I've been telling you about is is in in this particular case is um, sort of a summary of of what you can you can find from lots of different sources, but probably the best place to look for this kind of information is the American Chemistry Council. Uh, the American Chemistry Council is a trade association for chemical and plastics manufacturers. They have they have a huge investment in advanced, in advanced recycling, and that, that would be a great place to start to find out more. Okay. Well, very good. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Rich. Take care of yourself. Don't forget, before you go, use code GENIUS at Viome.com for an additional $20 off your health intelligence test and get started on your health journey with the right foods, supplements, and probiotics and prebiotics for your unique biology. Get a deeper look within with Viome's health intelligence test. Viome, you decoded. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.